Jeremiah. The 10th chapter, tonight we're looking at verses 17 through 25. The title of the message, A Nation Judged. A Nation Judged. On Sunday night we're doing a sermon series through the book of Jeremiah. We will not cover every chapter nor every verse. You probably have already figured that out, but we'll cover a lot of it. And then we'll revisit it again later again. Jeremiah chapter 10, beginning with verse 17. Gather up the goods out of the land, O inhabitant of the fortress. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will sling out the inhabitants of the land at this once, and will distress them that they might find it so. Woe is me for my hurt. My wound is grievous. But I said, truly this is a grief, and I must bear it. Speaking of the tabernacle, my tabernacle is spoiled and all my cords are broken. That was the house of worship. My children are gone forth of me, and they are not there. There is none to stretch forth my tent anymore and to set up my curtains. For the pastors have become like animals. They've not sought the Lord, therefore they shall not prosper, and all of their flocks or congregations shall be scattered. Behold, the noise of the beast is coming, and a great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah desolate and a den of dragons. 23 and 24, interesting verses. Jeremiah speaking, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. O Lord, correct me. Pay attention to that. O Lord, correct me, but with judgment. Not in thy anger, lest thou bring me to nothing. Pour out thy fury upon the heathen that know thee not, and upon the families that call not on thy name. For they have eaten up Jacob, devoured him and consumed him, and have made his habitation desolate. Perhaps those verses are kind of hard for you to grasp, but hang with me and I'll explain them to you in just a moment. But first let me tell you about the story of a little boy who was being bad. He was being very bad. He was hollering, he was screaming, he was punching, he was kicking seats. He was pitching a conniption fit. And all of that was happening on a plane that was about to take off. I mean, the boy was just being obnoxious. He had a mother with him, and she was a passive, soft-spoken lady. And she tried to do the usual things that a passive, soft-spoken lady might do. She said, shh, shh. She tried to shoo him. And then she tried to put her arm around him and comfort him and hug him. And then she tried to bribe him with a little bit of candy she had. And then she just tried to ignore him. And all that she tried did not work. The little boy just got louder and louder and more aggressive and more aggressive. He repulsed the flight attendants. He repulsed the people that were sitting around him. 
And many people were just getting frustrated and aggravated, and this little boy was just getting worse and worse. Well, suddenly, the pilot opens up the cockpit door, and he walks down the aisle, and he stops there in front of that little boy. And he bends down, and he whispers something in the little boy's ear. And then he walks back to the cockpit. When the pilot leaves, the little boy immediately stops crying. He stops punching and kicking seats. He stops hollering and screaming. He stops being aggressive. He just sits still, and he's quiet. Not just while the plane is on the ground, but while the plane is in the air. All the way until they unload at the next destination. Well, after all the passengers are off the plane, one of the flight attendants comes to the pilot and she said, Listen, you ought to be a child psychiatrist. What did you say to that little boy to get him to be quiet and behave? Nobody else could do it. And the pilot said, Well, I told him that I was in charge of this plane. And if he didn't be quiet and be still, I was going to throw him off the plane whether it be on the ground or in the air. You know, sometimes, oftentimes, maybe most of the time, the threat of judgment is about the only thing that will get people in order, get people to behave, you might say. Well, in our verses, there's not a little boy acting up. There's a nation acting up. It's the nation of Judah. Judah was the southern part of Israel. Israel was made up of ten tribes to the north. Judah was made up of two tribes to the south. They had a civil war that divided the nation. And Judah was always thought to be the nation that was closer to God than Israel. But Judah right now is not very close to God at all. Judah has entered into a phase of idolatry. The people are worshiping, worshiping gods of their own imagination, gods that they have invented with their own hands, gods that have no life. They've turned their back on the true and the living God to worship fantasies and imaginations. The nation of Judah is filled with drunkenness. Alcoholism is rampant. The nation of Israel is filled with sexual perversion and sexual immorality of every hideous sort. The nation of Judah is guilty of abusing the young and abusing the old. The nation of Judah is rebelling against the laws of God and the laws of their very land. The nation of Judah is acting up. You would think the political leaders might try to do something, but no, they promoted and they practiced much of this themselves. You would think that the priests would step in and try to steer the nation back to God, but no, they didn't either. They were very tolerant and even condoning of the evil that was going on before their eyes. And in the midst of all of this national rot, in the midst of all of this ecclesiastical rot, God raises up a prophet. As I told you, Jeremiah did not want to be a prophet. He didn't volunteer for the job. 
Jeremiah was a Clark Kent type. He wasn't Superman. But God called him to be a Superman to a nation, to a church, to a people that were headed for destruction. And Jeremiah answered the call. Now Jeremiah was a one-hit wonder. He was had a one-track message. He only had one song, and the lyrics were very simple. Jeremiah's message to the nation, to the church, and to the people of his day that were misbehaving was this. Repent or perish. That was his message. In a nutshell, capsulized, summarized, repent or perish. Verse 18 for thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will sling out the inhabitants of the land at this once, and will distress them that they may find it so. God said, I'll put them in my slingshot, and I'll shoot them off across the world if they won't listen to me. He's speaking of his own people, the people of Judah. Verse 22, he says, Behold the noise of the beast that is coming and a great commotion out of the north country that is going to go to the cities of Judah and make them desolate and a den of dragons. God is speaking a message of upcoming impending judgment if this nation does not repent and perish, the nation of Judah. Now, I wish I could tell you, folks, I wish I could tell you that that nation and its political leaders, that that church and its religious leaders, that those people that made up that nation, I wish I could tell you tonight that they listened to Jeremiah, that they confessed their sins, they repented, and a national revival took place that saved the country. I wish I could tell you that happened. But you know why I can't tell you it happened? Because it didn't. It didn't. They would not listen. God's judgment came, and the judgment was fierce. In verse 22, that beast that came out of the north was the Babylonians. The Babylonians were the world power of that day. And up until this time, God has protected his nation and his people from foreign invaders. But now his people have turned their back on him. And God has left them to their own selves. And the Babylonians came from the north and they marched through Judah. They gave no mercy, they showed no quarter, they took no prisoners. They slaughtered everything in their path. They were like an army of fire ants on the march. They slaughtered, they enslaved, they deported the people. They looted and destroyed the places politically and religiously. And they took away the people's freedom and faith. The Babylonians stormed through Judah, and Judah was no more. Listen to me very carefully. 
When God brings judgment against a nation that will not listen to him, that is turned from him and pursuing idolatry and immorality and intoxication and injustice, God does not normally judge that nation directly himself. God will raise up other nations to do his bidding. In this case, it was the Babylonians. In other instances of Scripture, it was other great empires. Now remember, the Bible's not just about stories of yesterday, it's about a story today. It's not just about Judah, but maybe it's about America. It's not just about Judah saying we will not listen to God, maybe it's about America not listening to God. Maybe it's about... God's about to bring judgment to us. Maybe that's why we see the North Koreans now becoming antagonistic. Maybe that's why we see the Russian bear that was wounded at one time coming back ferociously. Maybe that's why we see China now being aggressive in the South China Sea. Maybe that's why Islamic terrorism has come to America. Maybe God's trying to get a nation's attention. Maybe, just maybe. And maybe these nations will be the instrument that he uses to get our attention or to bring judgment against us. But you know something, in the midst of all of this, the nation would not listen, the church would not listen, the people would not listen. There was one man who listened to Jeremiah's message. And you know who he was? Jeremiah. He listened to his own message. And notice the words he says in verse 23, 24. This is profound, folks. The nation wouldn't listen to him. The church wouldn't listen to him. People wouldn't listen to him. But he listens to himself. He says, O oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Verse 24, O oh Lord, correct me, but with judgment. But please do not do it in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. As Jeremiah is preaching, he's listening to his own messages. Nobody else is responding. But Jeremiah is thinking about what he's saying. He's feeling about what he's saying. Isn't it ironic that the bad guys won't listen? But Jeremiah, who's the sheriff, the good guy, you might say, he listens to his own sermons. And in doing so, he asks God to have mercy on him. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the closer you get to God in doing his service, and giving to Him, and worshiping Him, and witnessing for Him, 
The closer you get to God, the more that you see there is a problem, and the problem is you. It's interesting that when Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, remember when he got a picture, a glimpse into glory? One of the few men that has ever seen God on his throne, that's ever seen the Spirit of God, that's ever seen the seraphim and the, and the angelic host. When Isaiah saw God and got close to God, what did he say about himself? He said, whoa, I am unclean. He didn't talk about anybody else's uncleanliness. He saw his own uncleanliness. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells a parable about two men in the church of his day. One was a Pharisee, and this Pharisee was far from God. And he shows it by talking about how good he was. He stands off in a corner and says, Lord, you're lucky to have me on your side. I do great praying, Lord. I know all about you. I give a lot. I serve a lot. Lord, let me pat myself on the back because I know you would if you could. Lord, I'm just a great man. I'm not like those bumps over there. But the man who was closest to God, what did he say? The tax collector. He said, Lord, I'm a nobody. Have mercy on me. I'm just a sinner. You see, the closer you get to the Lord, the more you will see, I have met the enemy and he is me. I have found the problem and it is me. I've discovered the sin. It is mine. And as Jeremiah is getting closer to God, bringing this message of judgment to the nation, to the church, and to his own people, they will not listen, but he's listening. And he confesses his own sin. The nation may not listen, but I will listen. The church may not listen, but I will listen. The others may not listen, but I will listen. God have mercy on me, is what he says. For I too have sinned. Whose sin are you responsible for? Take your finger and point at the person. You. We are responsible for our sin. Not necessarily the nations, though we're Americans. Not necessarily the church, though we're members of Miles Road Baptist Church and the Universal Church. Not necessarily our home that's made up of other people beside ourselves, though we might be a part of a family. Ultimately, we will answer for our sins and our sins alone. The problem is, sometimes we don't believe that we sin. If I was to ask you tonight, what is the worst sin? Homosexuality or gossip and murmuring, what would you say? Oh, we know, Pastor, those, those homosexuals out there, that's, that's bad. What's the worst sin? The killing of an unborn baby called abortion? 
or being a troublemaker in the church and causing a commotion all the time? What's the worst sin? Cursing and using profanity? Or being apathetic and indifferent to the very things of God? What is worse, drunkenness? Or giving nothing and doing nothing? What is worse, violence, hurting somebody, or running preachers off, as many churches do continually? What's worse, stealing, or sitting on huge amounts of money and hoarding it, and not using it for God's kingdom? Now, if I was to ask you to verbalize your answers, every one of us would have done what? We would have looked at the sins of the world and said, boy, God's upset about that. And he is. But we're not responsible for their sin. We're responsible for our own sin. And Jeremiah saw that, I think, for the very first time. His eyes were opened. Compared to other people, he was good. Compared to God, he was wretched. And the Bible says judgment begins where? In the house of God. Judgment begins with the people of God. Judgment begins with the individuals who make up the house that make up the church. I heard the story about a dad who was, had picked up his seven-year-old son. They were headed home, and the traffic was horrendous. They lived in Charleston. <laughs> and I mean, it, it was just bad. And the dad was already short, he was impatient, he was stressed, the day had been long, it had been hard, and he was just fussing and fuming and hollering to himself and hollering at the other drivers, calling them idiots and every other name he could think of. And after a particularly long tirade of, of holding his fist up and calling people idiots and every other thing he could think of, his little boy said, Daddy, can I ask you a question? His dad said, yeah, what do you want? He said, Daddy, are you ever an idiot? Are you ever an idiot, Daddy? Everybody else is. Are you ever the idiot? And you know, folks, that's what we have to ask ourselves. As we see our nation declining rapidly, as we see the church, the true church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ preparing to go up, and the whore of Satan, the false church that will be left behind, preparing to go down. As we see our homes, as we see so many lives in decline, the question we ask ourselves is this, are we right with God ourselves? Are they the idiots? Or maybe we're the idiots? 
Are they the sinners or maybe we're the sinners? Is the problem out there? Or maybe, just maybe, folks, it's, it's right here. Maybe the problem I'm looking at tonight and maybe the problem you're looking at tonight. I don't know if this nation will ever get right with God. I pray so as you do, but I don't know that it will. I don't know that we're going to ever see another revival or great awakening in the church. I pray so, but I don't know so. I don't know if we're ever going to see our society and culture come back to a Judeo-Christian foundation. I pray so, but I don't know so. But I know this. I can. I can come back to God. I can experience revival. I can experience awakening. I can lay foundations in my life that will stand the test of time and make a difference. The question is, will we do what Jeremiah did and acknowledge that the solution is us and the problem is us? Tonight I'd like to close by challenging you and I to do some things. A checkup, if you will. May I ask you and I tonight to understand that we need to examine ourselves tonight. It's so easy to examine out there, is it not? Absolutely. It's so easy to examine that other side over there, isn't it? It's so easy to look at them, is it not? It's so easy to wonder about the person in front of us or behind us or to the left or to the right. But I'm asking you to put yourself under the microscope of God's instrument. I'm asking you not to compare yourself to someone else. I'm asking you to compare yourself to the Lord Jesus himself. He's the standard. Examine yourself. The Bible says it repeatedly. Examine yourself. Look at yourself. Are you truthful? Are you righteous? Are you loving? Are you good? Are you kind? Are you serving? Are you giving? Are you worshiping? Are you witnessing? Examine yourself. And then when you do that examination, recognize what you see. Look and see your own sin. Not somebody else's, yours. We must, like Jeremiah, say, we have sinned, I have sinned. We examine ourselves, we, we, we recognize our sins. Then we confess our sins. You know what confession is, folks? It's an acknowledgement to God that we did it. It's not no if and button. It's an acknowledgement that we have sinned and we take ownership of our sin. There's no defense, there's no alibi, there's no blaming, there's no accusing, 
There's no apologizing. There's no passing the buck. It is my sin. And I did it because I choose to do it, and I wanted to do it, and I enjoyed doing it. We recognize our sins. We confess our sins. And then we repent of our sins. You know what repent means? I did it, I'm sorry, and I won't do it again by the grace of God. I'm not going back to it. If that means I've got to quit seeing people, going to places and doing things, so be it. Change. I repent of my sins. And when we do that, ladies and gentlemen, God will give us something, no matter what our nation and church and homes and all the society and culture around us go through. God will give us peace, joy, and hope. The peace that passes all understanding, the joy that's unspeakable, and the presence of the blessed hope. And then he will use us like he's going to use Jeremiah to be his instrument to transform one life at a time. And maybe the life that begins with is us. Can you, are you listening to me? We have a responsibility to get ourselves right. You say, but pastor, my sin is just itsy bitsy teeny weeny. Like that polka dot bikini. <laughs> and your sin might be itsy bitsy teeny weeny. But it still hung Jesus on the cross. It still cost him his life. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.